All right, so we're back at the Cracks in Postmodernity. Today we have a very special guest, Abbot Nicodemus. He's the Benedictine abbot of two monasteries in the Holy Land, Dormition and Tabga Priory, and he is the highest representative of monasticism in the Holy Land. So, Abbot Nicodemus, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. So before we talk a little bit more about what's going on in the Holy Land right now, can you just tell people a little bit about your background and how you ended up in this position in the Holy Land? Yes, I'm a Benedictine. I'm a German citizen. And uh, the two monasteries, Domitian Abbey and Tapka Priory, are international monasteries, but German-speaking. So... Um, we have a study program for German-speaking theology students. I joined that program 2000-2001. I was so um, amazed and uh, touched by Jerusalem that I said, okay, this is the place I want to live as a monk. So 2003, 20 years ago, I joined um, our community. My background is... I come uh, from an artist's family. It's very unusual. So I'm not a, have a not a classical Catholic uh, background. More this um, very um, yes um, unusual background. And to be honest, why Jerusalem? has also to do with my background because very often I said Jerusalem. It's chaotic enough for me to live there as a monk. And my special interest from the academic point of view it's liturgy and eastern churches so um so now that you're you're living in the holy land you know i reached out to several people who i know there asking if we could get somebody on here to talk about what's going on partially because in the us and i mean all over the world really we see a lot of commentary on the crisis very emotionally fueled becoming extremely polarized to the point that it's really hard to figure out, again, what's really happening on the ground. A lot of these, these opinions we see on the internet are, you know, covered in, in prejudices, preconceived notions. And it would, I find it more helpful to ask, again, someone who's actually in the middle of this, what's happening. So I want to start just by asking, what, what do you see happening? And how has your experience been living in the midst of this? Yes. I totally understand what you describe because um, I'm as a European feel the same problem that people in Europe who never visit my uh, my uh, um, yeah choice of uh, living here uh, now for 20 years have a very strong opinion, but really no experience. And I'm really uh, sometimes quite shocked how black and white and how polarized uh, the discussion is. I totally agree uh, with your observation. I could say, and this is the main problem and the main challenge on the Holy Land, if you like black and white, mm -hmm. good and evil, right and wrong, this is not the right place for you. Here in Jerusalem, you have to taste the complexity. Yeah. You need to enjoy that things are more complicated than to explain it in three minutes. Because, for example, if people say, yes, here are the Jews, there are the Muslims, and you know, it's not only Jews, Muslims, we have here Christians, we have Druze, we have Czechs, we have Samaritans, we have Baha'i, you know, there's much more uh, on the ground. Also, if people say, yes, uh, 
um, I don't know, the Israelis and the Palestinians said, okay, what do you mean with the Israelis? You know, you mean the uh, Muslim Arabic speaking Israelis or the Jewish uh, Hebrew speaking Israelis, or you mean the uh, Druze Israelis, or uh, what do you mean? You mean the Sephardic Jews, the Gemini Jews, the Ashkenazi? What do you mean with, so, or the Palestinians? What do you mean with the Palestinians? You mean the Christians in Gaza, the Palestinian Christians, or you mean, uh, the um the, the sunni muslims or you meet the very secular uh, palestinians or you mean the islamists or you mean you know it, it's it's uh, the picture is much more colorful and and i often um see it and i think uh what people describe as the israelis the palestinians or the jews the muslims i would say i'm very interested to meet once such people who are described, because I know only people who are like a colorful mosaic of identities, who are not black and white, who are in themselves, have different identities and have a different struggle of identities. So for example, I give you to start from my very own perspective as a Roman Catholic. We call it here the Latin. So really very narrow perspective, the Roman Catholic. You know, the Christians are between one and 2%. Um, one partial, uh, one portion of these Christians are Catholics and there a smaller part, it's Roman Catholic because the most Catholics are here, Byzantine Rite Catholics, Melkites or Maronites or Syriac Catholics. So really I, I, I take only this small uh, group of people. So from the Roman Catholic perspective, it's very difficult to have a clear stance and to say, oh yeah, we know we're the perpetrators, who are the victims. Because in this war, again, we have death Catholics, Roman Catholics on both sides. It started on 7th of October, this uh, yeah, really shocking massacre, this attack of uh, the terrorist organization Hamas, who killed on one day over 1,300 people. It was not only Jewish people. They killed also four Catholics, migrant workers from the Philippines, oh, caregivers. Wow. So as a Catholic, I can say the 7th of October, it was also a disaster. It was a shocking uh, experience. It was really a lot of mourning. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going in the question of humanity and empathy really i again i only want to have this frog perspective very narrow only on the catholics focus so for the catholic church the 7th of october from this perspective was a catastrophe four of our members four three sisters one brother who share the same baptism as i share were murdered caregivers, migrants from the Philippines, members of the vicariate I was uh, in charge of as uh, the patriarchal vicar for migrants and asylum seekers. So four really faithful members of our diocese, of our patriarchate. Later, a few days later, there were an airstrike on the pastoral center of the Greek Orthodox St. Porphyrios Church. Uh, on that church, there were not only Orthodox Christians, but also Catholic Christians. So on this airstrike, 17 Christians were killed. Ecumenical, Orthodox, and Catholics. So there were a horrible day, really 
people who seek, were seeking shelter in Gaza City were killed, really, and they hoped the most secure place for them, it's the church, and was not secure enough, they were killed. So look, and this is my position, and now I, I, have, I have not started with the general thing of empathy and humanity and, you know, fratelli tutti like Pope Francis. No, really, it was um, like a methodology only to say, okay, let's focus on this tiny, tiny minority of Catholics. So Catholics were killed, were murdered on both sides. So we have to mourn for four migrants and we have to mourn for Palestinian Christians. And from this perspective, it's for me extremely difficult to understand if people say, now it's the time you have clear, you have to change your profile on the social media to the Israeli flag or to the Palestinian flag. You have to speak out. Now it's a time to say very clear who is uh, the good guys or the bad guys. And you know, it's a war of emotions. It's a war of pictures and others. And I am living here. My reaction with my community and our students were, you know, look, we have brothers and sisters who share the same baptism as we. They were killed on both sides, and both were extremely innocent. You know, totally, they have no part in this conflict. One hand, migrant workers from the Philippines who really uh, are not members of the Israeli military and the Christians in Gaza, I can assure you, they are not members of Hamas. They were not uh, shooting rockets or, or they are, you know, really people who are not um, militants who are not soldiers who really have no uh, um, um, yeah, involvement in that conflict, but they were victims. And from that point, we said, okay, I pray. I pray because what I see, and now we can maybe go a step further, because of course, I mourn also for Jewish murdered people, for Muslim killed people, for uh, Bedouins who were killed, you know, all, you know, you, you find in every community, you find biographies were destroyed and they're still uh, under <laughs> destruction. Um, people mourn, uh, dreams for a better future were destroyed. And, you know, this holy land, and with holy land, I mean Israel and Palestine together, Really, this holy land, it's really a land full of wounds, full of hate, full of violence. Sometimes our patriarchs or the Roman Catholic Bishop of Jerusalem said, yeah, sometimes it seems for him the common language, it's violence. That's a common shared language of both people, uh, both peoples. And, um, and this is really so, you know, a wounded land, now there are more wounds. And this is my perspective, because people ask, yes, who is guilty? Who is the perpetrator? Of course, yes, but I'm not a political analyst. I'm not a defense expert. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm first of all a human being, then I'm a Christian, and then I'm a monk and a priest and abbot. And in this case, I said, I can only pray. I can only say, okay, we have our 
monasteries opened for everybody. We don't ask, are you a Jewish, Christian, or Muslim? Uh, are you legal or illegal here? It doesn't matter if it helps you come, rest. We have our cafeteria open. We have the monks around. If one needs a listening ear, a listening heart, you always find a monk to talk. And we are praying more than ever. And we really, we, we bring the suffering uh, to, yeah, to our God. And uh, yes, and I hear so many horrible stories. And thanks God, I have Jewish friends, I have Muslim friends, I have Christian friends. I know the people who were killed in Gaza, and I know the migrant workers. You know, it's for me not abstract numbers. These are people I know. And for me, then it becomes really strange if people from Europe or United States teach me, hey, Abbott, why you have not changed your profile picture and the flag and this flag or this flag? Why, you know, I said, okay, you know, you are really sitting in your, in your chair, I don't know, uh, eating chips, drinking a Coke and explain me the world, me, I'm living here um, in the midst of this for a huge big laugh for all the human beings because my perspective also I have to say that very clear i'm not here because i love conflict i love war and i need uh, uh I, I need this no no i really i'm dreaming uh, of jerusalem as an open city big enough for everybody uh, but what really my jerusalem is is a jerusalem of 5 a.m in the morning because at this time, there are only religious people in the streets. You have the Jews who, before their work, praying at the Kotel, at the Western Wall. You have the Muslims who pray at the Haram al-Sharif before their work. And you have the very first liturgies at the Holy Sepulchre and the, and the, and the Church of the um, Resurrection. And at this time, Jerusalem, it's so wonderful. It's so magnificent because it's full of peace. People smile to one another. And this is really the beauty of religion. And this is my Jerusalem. And I can say what I suffer. So it's now the hooligans of religion, the people who really give religion a bad name. Now they're in the front rows and they're said, no, we have now. And the, the, the worst thing is from the verbal point, the dehumanization. This hurts me a lot. If people from both sides said, no, who's doing that? It's not anymore a human, it's an animal. And then I would say, no, what we as religious people share as children of Abraham together, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, is that we believe that every human being is created in the image of God. So, and this is, I know in this time, it's hard to hear, but that's what we believe. Also a murderer is still a human being and he has a dignity that is given and we have no right as a human being to dehumanize uh, another human being to say you are not anymore human you are an animal or you're a monster others no we're speaking about humans and we are speaking about human biographies and we're speaking about human desires and so on and so on. And this is really, I, I can say it's a difficult time for me now because um, I feel very lonely with the others. I have immediately before we spoke, I had a phone call with a rabbi, a good friend of mine, and we shared. It was like brothers, really, because uh, 
I know people will feel the same feelings as we who said, okay, now the way, yeah, it's longer, but we have to go the way for reconciliation. We have no alternative. Yeah, and first, I just I want to again thank you for being willing to share your experience beyond the level of analysis to really share that yes, like this is a painful moment. It's not just a matter of political issues, political injustice, but on the human level, like what's suffering, you know. And part of when I when I see the discourse on the internet, I think what ends up happening is that people skip to this political level, to the level of you know, um, of policy, which is clearly important. It, it plays a, a crucial role in settling the conflict. But if we reduce it to only this, we lose sight of, again, the person, the people that are in the midst of this. And, and I have to admit, I mean, I'm someone who's very opinionated. I don't hold back from posting what I think into, you know, into the internet. But I am very hesitant to post anything about this crisis because I have to admit, I don't fully understand what's going on. Um, and even though I, I told you a couple of years ago, I visited the Holy Land, I got a better sense of what's going on because I saw it firsthand. But even still, just that those few days there, I still must have, I still have to realize like, I'm not an expert on this. So to, to espouse ideas about policy, the political side, I don't know. Um, and I, I want to ask you, I mean, why you, you talked about how so much of the discourse is fueled by emotions. I see a lot of it as um, people have this kind of anxiety that they have to pick the correct side and project that into the world. They have to prove that they're not on the wrong side. They're not, you know, supporting evil. Um, and, and in the process of doing this, you end up denying, like you said, the humanity of the so-called enemy. Sure, there are injustices on both sides, but if I only pick this one side and that's all I talk about, I deny the fact that, okay, but there, there are human beings on all sides of this. So, I mean, what do, you, what do you make of this kind of moral anxiety to pick the right side, to prove that I'm on the correct side and that I condemn the other? I totally agree with, you, uh, with your analysis because it makes life easier because if you pick one side very clearly, of course, you will have enemies who say, oh, but you have um, your peer group who will support you. And then you know who's your enemy. And then, of course, if one said, yeah, but how could you say that? So you say, oh, yes, it's typical. Huh? The other side, typical. Huh? So, so, but uh, I can really, um, and sometimes maybe my feeling is that some people from outside looking to this conflict or to this war i think both sides agree that they call it war now um one of the few things they agree both sides that's not only a conflict but really it's going deeper it's really going deeper and it's more dramatic than uh conflicts before it's like a football match that people say okay yes i'm cheering one of the parties and uh, also sometimes of a see especially on uh, social media with this short videos and others it's really like an emotional it's like yeah it's like a football match between two teams and you yeah cheering to your uh, team but you know we are talking about human biographies about human beings and it's not like you know a football match where after the match all shake their hands and said okay you know life is going on it was only a game and 
no, it's not only game. It's about uh, biographies. It's about uh, dreams of families. It's about you know. It's so going so deep, and I, I and from that perspective, I uh, I I find it so inadequate to to look um, to this war like a football match. It's not a football match. It's about uh, human biographies, and um, yes, what I can say, what I feel also, I'm attacked a lot in these days. And it's strange because I'm not a person who said, yes, black and white. And no, I'm really, you heard me. I really, I said, okay, I, I repeat what I say for years now, that we say as we as a monastery, and I'm as the abbot of this monastery, we are neither pro-Israel nor pro-Palestine. We are pro-humans. And it doesn't matter. Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Druze, Samaritans, atheists, if you're legal, illegal, it doesn't matter. You know, this is really because I believe in this beauty of what we share as a common faith that every human being is created in the image of God. And all other things like flags, citizenships, borders, this is all... Um, human created ideas has nothing to do you know this is we are we are not born we are we are born in the image of god but but, but we are not born with uh with a passport and a flag and a hymn and i don't know this is uh, human created and uh, and i'm very allergic if people say no but god wants that you know this is a communication uh uh foul because uh in my point of view the politicians here especially in the middle east should be more secular really, because it's totally unfair if you are reaching to a compromise, but then to stop, no, no, but God wants not, you know. What is this for an idea of God? This is blasphemic. God is sitting in heaven with an atlas and a globe and saying, no, I want the border here, and I want the, no, come on. What is what, what, what is this for uh, a totally inadequate uh, image of God? So, um, I think really we have to rediscover the uh, yeah the beauty and the dignity of every human being. And for me, maybe uh, if you allow me to give the analysis why this conflict is so complicated and why also as a political thinking person, because I was one year also um, advisor in the Federal Foreign Office of Germany for religion foreign policy, so mm -hmm. I'm not totally naive so I, I understand that um, uh, nations and uh, yeah, peoples also um, seeking for identity and, and have, have questions and uh, a state is more than only the um, addition of individuals. And I understand there are two main desires I see of, and now, now I reduce what I normally uh, don't like, but I reduce now really the human beings on two groups, the Israelis and the Palestinians. The Israelis, I mean, uh, um, um, and the majority, the Jewish Israelis and, uh, and the, the, the Palestinians. And you have two main desires who have both um, a totally clarity and, and I both I support from the bottom of my heart. Um, I start without um, priority with the Israeli narrative. So the Israeli narrative, or not narrative, it's the wrong word, the desire, the big desire 
its security. And that they really, and especially as I'm as a German citizen, you know, we know very well because of our very special history, we as Germans uh, have uh, with the Jewish people that I totally understand and I really, um, I can support in every meaning the desire to say never again the Shoah, never again Auschwitz, never be again victim. Um, and that they are very sensitive to criticism from outside. They said, yes, you can criticize in your state. You're surrounded by friends. Uh, you have enough space. If we lose a war, we lose everything. And uh, Hitler's plan was to yeah, extinguish our whole people. And now it's... Um, yeah, really, we have to resist. We have really never to be helpless, never to be uh, victims, and so on. They said, it's not fair to criticize us because you cannot understand this very strong desire. And so this is the one thing I totally understand, and this is for me also the best argument uh, to explain uh, the right uh, um for an Israeli state is that my Jewish friend said, yeah, Israel is there, that our um, grandchildren have another uh, perspective than our uh, grandparents. And it's like a safe haven, safe haven for every uh, Jewish uh, people. If anti-Semitism is rising uh, too strong, you know, as a Jew, you can book um, a ticket uh, you can fly to Tel Aviv and you can, without fear, live your Jewish life. So this is one very strong desire. And I can say I totally understand and support that. On the other hand, the Palestinian side, you have the same, very understandable. And again, I support this also from the bottom of my heart and uh, from real equally from my emotional uh, feeling with, with the other side, it's really both. It's their big desire of freedom. Freedom and, if you want, also sovereignty. Yeah. And there, it's the same argument. They said, who criticize us? It's also, they don't understand. They have their passport. They have their own currency. They have a freedom of economic uh, uh, thing, of um, movement, of um, clear borders. You know, you have uh, your own infrastructure. You know, you're, you're a sovereign state. And our fight for freedom, um, if you criticize it, you, you, you don't understand, uh, yeah, really, um, we are like, uh, that's what you hear very often, we are like the second victims of the Shoah because uh, we haven't killed any Jews, but you know they they came here and now we are uh, in this in this situation we are in and we are not a sovereign state. We are longing for that, and really our big desire is freedom. And I can say also the Catholic, especially the Holy See, believes very strongly in the uh, right of self determination of every people. So. And this is the point now, if you really uh, uh, come back to this perspective, you have two very 
good desires and totally understandable and totally from the bottom of my heart, I can say, yes, I agree. I'm with you and I support you in this desire because especially from my uh, perspective, um, um, not from the German also of that, uh, this I explained, of course, this is very obvious, but also now, because I think I'm mostly interviewed here as a Christian, not as a German, it's really this, because we have as a Christian church, Catholic church, really a horrible history of anti-Judaism, so we have responsibility um, to really, um, to, to be uh, supportive for the Jewish people, because uh, the history, it's really against us if we look on that. On the other hand, we, what I say, it's very clear the Holy See, it's one of the strong voices for the right of self-determination of people. And there is a Palestinian people. And of course, like all other people, if they want a sovereign state and if they really want to govern themselves, it's the best right they have and we are all supportive to that. And we have also to remember that the main, uh, uh, the, the majority of the Christians are Palestinians here in the mm -hmm. region also from that point. So you have two big understandable desires. And again, how should I choose now who I support and say, yes, these are the good guys and the bad guys? Because really from my point, uh, in from my... Um, uh, Yes, uh, empathy point. I can say yes. I'm, I'm, I'm both with you. I totally agree. The problem is now, and I think this is in the war the big problem. Both are now wounded at the weakest point. Mm -hmm. Israel faced; they are not secure. The seventh of October it was a disaster for them because they were wounded at the most vulnerable point. Because in my opinion, their biggest dream is to be secure, to be safe. And this was on 7 October, not the case. And the Palestinians are now wounded on the weakest point, the freedom. Because now they have to reduce the space in Gaza to the south. They have to leave their homes. They have to flee. So now they feel more like in like in a prison than ever before so if you see now it's really traumatizing for both if you see you have two groups one group is dreaming of security and one is dreaming of freedom and now we are in a period both lose exactly this this is horrible for both i can only see a loose loose situation both sides are losing now there's no winner it's a loose loose situation uh, if you really um, continue with that because we have, and this is my dream now, we have to face this reality. We have, as global human family, let's let's tell it in that mm -hmm. case, or in that, that way, we have to sit together with both, with these both. And this is one analysis I share. Uh, many people say both sides are not able now to understand the other side. They are so wounded. They are so under shock you know really because this is the 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 hor the most horrible nightmare it's now taking place for both sides and really i think they need the help that we say okay we as international human family we understand israel you are seeking for security palestine you are seeking for freedom 
how can we find a solution that both of your dreams uh, become reality? And this is now the challenge. And this is, I think, the path to peace. How can Israel find security? And how can Palestine find freedom? And to be honest, this discussion, this thinking, I hear very, very little voices about that. Because I think that's the point. Hmm. And I think when when you're talking about the, the desires on both sides, we see that there's a, a real objective need for justice and, and a need to respond to injustices on both sides. And I think this impulse to peace, this impulse to to foster some kind of reconciliation, people are afraid of this because they think that that means compromising the desire for justice, compromising the need to respond to the injustices on whichever side. And we hear very little coverage about the Christian minority in the Middle East. Um, and this is partially why I, I wanted to speak to you, because at least if, theologically speaking, Christianity's main priority is this. I mean, this is why Jesus came, to bring this ultimate reconciliation that seems humanly impossible, but through God's grace can become a reality for us. Um, and I don't know, like I see on both on the Israeli and Palestinian sides, this um, this impulse for annihilating the enemy rather than seeking reconciliation is taking over. Um, and this is why I like it's my prayer, my hope that the Christians can become a sign of this, this possibility of peace, that the solution is not to annihilate the enemy, not to pay injustice with injustice, but to try to find a path forward together. So I'm wondering for you as a Christian, but especially someone who lives the Benedictine monastic charism, how do you understand your role in this ideal of bringing about peace? Like what is, what is your witness in the midst of, of this very painful conflict? Yeah, thank you for your question. Maybe I I, um, I want to add only one aspect with the compromise because uh, at the last days of his life, uh, I appreciate very much we had a really a friendship between generations is Amos Oz, one of the great Jewish writers who was a left winger, mm -hmm. and we uh, and he uh, said what we need it's really to decriminalize compromises because he said what's so horrible in this region is compromise has such a bad name here because both sides um, going to the United Nations and say yes for home I haven't resist to give one step and you know they're really they're, uh, they're happy not to make compromise. And this is, and he said, if with this attitude, uh, uh, I uh, uh, was not able uh, to live uh, in uh, in his marriage uh, for years, because said, you know, uh, one of the mysteries or secrets, or I think, or a vocation, let's say, vocation of human life, is to be able to make compromises, because it's not about. I, myself, and me, and you know, it's really, if you live uh, with others, it's always, and this is what we learn in the monastery, now we are exactly the question, uh, I'm not the dictator or the ruler of my monastery, we are, uh, especially in, as a monastic community, I can tell you, we are very, very uh, colorful characters, 
if it comes to politics, if it comes to uh, theology, if it comes to many things, we are very diverse, but we live together and every day we gather around the altar, we eat from the same table of the Eucharist and we eat from the same table of the normal eating and uh, and this is one of the beauty because i could really say we are extremely diverse as a community but in front of god we say okay i'm not here because he's here or he's here no i'm here because i believe god called me in that community in that monastery and i hope that together god will lead us into his heavenly father house and uh, and the monastery is a good example because I'm not here because uh, um, I'm a great fan uh, uh, of my brothers to say, oh, yes, this is exactly the dudes I like to hang. No, no. In normal life, this would be not my friends. So it's not. But it's my it's my brothers. And what connects us? It's really the common desire seeking God. And, um, and for me, I think... Um, yeah, what's really our stance? It's exactly to say, if there is this hate, this misunderstanding, this black and white, uh, and this is what I love very much in the rule of St. Benedict. St. Benedict, it's writing, or wrote, sorry for my English, he, he wrote in his rule, um, not if you want to become a monk, you should be very intelligent and clever and very faithful. And no, no, there's one thing he is very uh, serious about. He said, if one is knocking on the door and uh, want to become a monk, the novice master has only one big question. Is this human really seeking God, searching for God? And this is interesting, not if he, has found, if he has found God, if he knows who is God. No, it's a process of seeking and searching. It's a, it's a way because, and this is what we have in all serious religions. And uh, I uh, spoke a lot with my Jewish and Muslim friends. This is every really good high religion has this knowledge that we are poor sinners that we are not perfect, that we really, we have our dreams, we have our desires, but then the reality, we are sometimes too lazy, too arrogant, too, you know, you know, all I think I have not to tell the people what you discover, what it's not so healthy and holy in, in you, but then really to know, okay, I'm really, yes, I have these good aspects, but sometimes really I think, oh, Nicodemus, why, what have you done today? Uh, and then really, to realize all of us, and I'm the first, I need the mercy of God. I need the forgiveness of God. Because um, if God would be um, a just judge, I could not. Uh, yes, I, 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 yes I'm, I'm lost. So really, I, I need his mercy. I need that he starts every day from the new beginning with me and really helping me to to seeking him and so on and so on and this is we share with all religion and this uh, gives you um, a perspective of humbleness and then 
if you know who you are, then who I am that I play the judge over other humans and say, ah, you are good, you are bad, you are right, you are wrong. You are with dignity and you are an animal or monster, who I am. And this is so, I am totally convinced that true religion is really, if you have a prayer life, if you're really seeking God, and this is again, I would say the people at 5 a.m., it doesn't matter if the Jews, Muslims or Christian, these prayer people, they really, they know, they know that they are poor sinners. They know that they need the mercy of God. And they hope that God's mercy, it's bigger than our human acting. And this is one thing what really, it's the last thing I would really want to mention this. Uh, sorry for my long answers. For <laughs> uh, It's, uh, we celebrated as uh, Church of Jerusalem, a uh, few days after the 7th of October, it was very hard touching because I was uh, presiding the Eucharist, the good thief. So the, I don't know what's, I think in English we say the good thief. So, so the man who was crucified on the right hand uh, of Jesus. So, and it's clear, this was um, a criminal, a heavy criminal. You're sure the Romans were not uh, um, um, crucifying people who were pickpockets. So really, you can guess maybe a murderer, uh, really, a uh, a difficult criminal person but he is the only one we have in the bible who was canonized by jesus himself who said yes today you will be with me in paradise because he realized oh i'm such a sinner please have mercy with with me and this was so heart touching because this was one aspect and i said very often and this is what makes me a little bit sad if you look to this sexual, sexual um, um, kind of religion. So people say, oh, yes, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers with the victims, thoughts. I said, okay, yes, you know, I am sure our good is full of mercy. If you really like, like, like the, the, the migrant workers who were murdered, I can really say, I'm sure they're in heaven. You know, God is, God is full of mercy. If you're there, really uh, to, to take care of elderly people, yeah, you know, this, but what really was in my thoughts, what about the murderers? What about the perpetrators? What about the people who kill now people? Who's praying for them? Because this is the most horrible thing you can do as a human being to end the life of another human being. And really, this is the moment you think, do you think he's really, or she's really in heaven? You know, how, how, how horrible is this sin? How horrible is this burden for your life when you realize you killed another human being? And then I said, yes, let's really pray. And this I do uh, every day now here in the monasterious community. Let's pray for the perpetrators. Let's pray for the murderers. Uh, because really that they find a merciful God. And first of all, that they realize what they have done and that they really repent like the good thief and that they find a merciful God. And this is, for example, so many aspects. 
I'm missing in the current discussion. And maybe you feel a little bit that my perspective, I feel so lonely because if I see what's going on in the world, you know, with black and white, and then yes, yeah, thoughts and prayers with the victims. Yes, of course, this is the most natural thing. But I think, uh, and I understand your question, that direction, what is the special vocation of us? I can say the special vocation is you're praying for all human beings here, but we are also praying every day for the perpetrators and murderers too. And also what you're saying about this um, talk about peace, like it's very easy to talk about, you know, taking this higher moral ground, offering our thoughts and prayers rather than some kind of polemical angle. But again, it's, it's very easy to talk about it, to actually live this struggle for peace, forget about, you know, political crisis, to live it in my own life, in my own house, much easier said than done. Um, so again, as much as I think that the Christians, like especially Christians, have a, a duty to witness to this ideal of peace and reconciliation, it's very important that we we live that. Again, maybe in, if, in I, our if I may interrupt, you, maybe if I interrupt you very shortly, sure, sure. I'm not I'm not speaking theoretically as yeah. an outsider. I speak as an insider too. You know, we have some radical groups. In this case, it's some of the very national Jewish religious people were really Christian haters. We had many arson attacks on both of our monasteries. Yeah. We had spitting attacks, verbal attacks, graffitis. Also, yesterday night, I was at the police station because one throws stones to our church window. So wow. this is like a little bit my daily bread mm -hmm. to, um, to experience hate, really hate and violence. And if it comes to a certain level that it's really touching our life we feel it's too much there is in the roman catholic uh, missal a special mass for the people who hate us who are evildoers to us and then i decide okay tonight again uh, let's pray especially for that because this is i think the most healthiest way not to let grow this revenge, hate, and you know, of course, I'm also Jungbühne. I feel that, I know that. Sometimes yesterday also, my first, ah, this idiot. But then I said, okay, yeah, that is stop, 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 stop. You know, uh, because uh, yesterday I this was in this in a good way because the police were present and they they caught them and so and it was very clear. But then I thought uh, if the police came and caught them this uh, stone thrower yeah he was really like crying like a baby it was like oh yeah yeah i don't know no please don't i said okay you know these people are not strong personalities in a way i don't know and then then really i feel okay it's so easy to say okay look look this evildoer this criminal this hater no and then it really it turned totally in my emotion i said okay Look, I don't know. I I'm I don't know his biography. I don't know his. I don't know what's maybe. I don't know what's behind that. Sure. Then really, the best is okay. Let's pray for him. This is what I can do. Let's God bless him and and also what the Psalms are doing. The Psalms sometimes are very harsh. They said yes, yeah. uh, right. uh, but it's healthy and this is also okay. If I really totally uh, feel this revenge desire, then I say God, God, do it, do it. But it's yeah. really, it's God's job, not my job. So, yeah, and, and the one, there's the one side that you're saying that 
to pray for one's enemies, to pray for the people who persecute us, but also to be able to acknowledge that sometimes I'm the one who is being unjust to my neighbor. I'm the one who is who's in error. Um, without being able to take that step of recognizing our own faults, it becomes impossible to reconcile with our enemy or, or whoever it is. Again, whether it's a, a political enemy, a national issue, or people in my own house, in my own personal life. And again, I, I want to thank you for, for shedding light on the bigger picture issue, but also sharing your personal experience of it. Because as you said, to be someone who desires peace and reconciliation can be a very lonely position to be in because there are all these voices out there, especially on the internet, clamoring for, for vengeance, for annihilating the enemy. So to stand for this, it's, it's a lonely position, but when entrusted to something greater than us, when entrusted to, you know, to faith, it becomes something possible to live. So I'm very grateful to you for, for sharing this. And I ask that you pray for all of us um, who are outside of the situation, trying to make sense of it, but also that we pray for you who are living in the midst of it and all the people, all the people whose lives are lost, but also the people who have taken other people's lives. Because as you said, this is, this is one of the worst sufferings for a human being. Thank you. Yes, and I may also invite all the listeners uh, to our places. If you come to the Holy Land, visit Domitian Abbey, visit yes. Tapka. And um, yes, uh, because this is all the reality of the Holy Land. If you pray at our places, you connect with many generations before you who prayed there too. And uh, there's also a great source of hope and consolation because what when you realize what the Holy Land has suffered through the centuries, and but there's still people who pray and hope. And yes, so there's hope. And hope for all, people of all faiths, people of no faith, that there can be real unity amongst us as human beings, ultimately. So again, uh, Abba Nicodemus, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Thank you. Thank you.